Hi, well, good morning, folks. Um, let's, um, let's, try and let's try and explain where we're going this morning. Um, we spent quite a bit of time um, last few weeks talking about journeys. In fact, this is the second time that I've actually stood here and talked about our going on a journey, both going on a journey individually and going on a journey um, corporately as a church. Um, certainly, that was one of the themes I took at the family service, and we've had quite a bit on this. Um, Chrissy talked quite clearly about it about two weeks ago. Brian put a little bit more flesh on the bones last week. And in a sense, what I'm going to try and do today is to actually sum up where we've got to so far, but also to say, this is the practicalities of it. So first of all, what we're going to do is we're going to put the context, we're going to look context of what journeys are all about, how it applies to us all. And then we're going to have, to have a look at the life of one individual, which is a little bit of reading I asked you to do last week, remember? Come on, own up, who's done it? Well, that's pretty, pretty impressive, okay. <laughs> 30%, 30% I'll settle for. Okay, um, let's um, just think about journeys. Um, when I'm feeling in a cynical mood, I'll sometimes say, um, some of you have heard me say, oh, isn't that like our journey through life? And those of you who are reared on it will know who said that first. Think of a man who drives around in a red van. Not Postman Pat, keep going. <laughs> Reverend Timms, the Reverend, the Reverend Timms in Postman Pat, he was, he, one of his phrases was, oh, isn't that like our journey through life? And it's one of the phrases I use. Don't I? <laughs> but reality is, we're all on a journey. We've all started a journey. We're going to finish a journey. Some of us are moving on that journey very quickly, some very slowly. Some seem to have very exciting journeys, some seem to have journeys which are difficult, some seem to have journeys that are easy. But the reality is we're all on a journey. And that's why I started off with that particular slide. Um, by the way, I've been asked to be fairly brief this morning, so please say amen to that point. <laughs> um, but this chap, um, some do it quite well, um, it's not a relative of mine, it's a chap called Oliver Goldsmith, who was a playwright in about 1800. And he wrote these words, which I think make sense. Life is a journey that must be travelled no matter how bad the roads and the accommodation. In other words, whether we like it or not, folks, we're all on a journey. We're all on a journey. You know, we're all on a journey. But we're going to go beyond that because what we've said quite clearly, both in terms of the family service I did a few weeks back and what was said last week and the week before was that over and above the journey that we're all on, we believe, as a church and as individuals in the church, we're on a particular journey which goes on top of that. Making sense? Okay, so let's actually move on. I'm going to be fairly quick, fairly brief this morning. I want you to take away the key points. Let's have a look at um, a little bit more about the journey. Um, can I ask you a quick question? Um, now, before I do that, um, just think about what was said over the last couple of weeks. Something that Chrissy said, something that Brian reinforced, something that others have said is an absolute conviction that in this journey together, we're moving to something that is new. That's my own conviction. Please don't ask me exactly what. But I do have, feel very strongly that we're moving into something new. 
And let's face it, we've got to change. We have to change the church. We have to develop as a church. So we have to move into something new. I don't think we've got the option on that. The other thing which shocked a few people, I think, and certainly shocked a few people when um, I said it at a meeting, um, was that we're moving away, I believe, very strongly from the idea of an elder. We're moving towards elders. We're moving towards, give, it, give the jargon, corporate leadership. The idea of a team working together. I felt that very strongly in my own thinking and praying, and then I thought, well, hold on, is that some bright idea I've had? Well, let me give you a challenge. Please have a look in Acts. Have a look in Acts of the Apostles and read what Paul was doing in the first century around the Mediterranean. I cannot find a single instance where he set an elder in a church. I can find about three or four instances where he set elders. And the whole concept that we're moving into, but we're starting, we see the start of moving into it at the moment, is this idea of a team of elders who are responsible for the leadership of it. Keith's nodding vigorously here. I'm pleased about that. I'm, I'm, I'd have to give up at this point if he didn't. That may mean that one person, in a sense, comes to the fore. That's going to happen in any group of people. But the important thing is, we are lead, we're talking about a group of elders. And I remember saying that in the meeting. It was a conviction I developed with me. And a few people afterwards said, you sure about that? Well, yes, I was. I still am. Okay, so let's just um, carry on with this a little bit. A little bit more about um, these, where we are. Um, wouldn't it be nice if our journey was like the one on the left? <laughs> I'm sorry, it's not going to be. Can I try your general knowledge for a minute? Would anybody like to tell me where, which motorway there is an eight-mile stretch on which is absolutely dead straight? Which motorway has got in a... In the UK. Sorry? In the UK. In the UK. There's a stretch which is absolutely dead straight. And the reason you don't realise it is because you go up and hill down a bit. M1. M1. Now, I know this stretch of motorway. It's up in Bedfordshire. It is boring. It really is. It is utterly boring. They don't build motorways like that anymore. The M25, when they were building it, there were bits they could have built it dead straight. No, they chose to put bends on it. Partly because they think it helps people stay awake. But actually find the M25, the motorway's been, been built since, really quite interesting. The M1, I dread. I really do not like using it because I find that stretch, the sudden stretch, absolutely boring. Well, I'm sorry. I can guarantee you something, folks. Our journey is not going to be boring. I can guarantee it's going to be lots of bends. And the reason it's going to have lots of bends and lots of ins and outs is because we're going to make some mistakes. I can promise you, if you don't believe that we make the church makes mistakes, please have a look at the last 2,000 years, and please have a look at what, what, how they got on in Acts, because they made an awful lot of mistakes. They got it right in the end, but I'm, I can promise you that as a church and as individuals, we'll make mistakes. The other thing I can promise you is we'll have a thing called um, events. Um, Things will happen out of, our, out of our control, things that we weren't expecting. 
Um, Harold Macmillan, you know, the Conservative me Member of Parliament in the 50s, isn't it? You know, somebody said, what have you noticed most about being Prime Minister, Ms Macmillan? And he said, events, dear boy, events. In other words, he had his ideas, he had his policies, but things happened, and things sort of, he wasn't expecting that to happen. It's going to happen to us. There was a church, there was a church I was hearing of recently, much, 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 much larger than us, that discovered where they were meeting. They had four weeks' notice. Sorry, that's the end, that's the end of the lease. Now, I've no idea how the outcome is it, but events will happen. And that's why our journey is going to be windy. And the other thing is, at times, we're going to get a very, very clear indication from God by a whole list of means, which I'm going to talk about in a few, in a few minutes, that this, this needs to change. We need to make a change. We need to make an adjustment. And Brian talked about that last week for about five or ten minutes of his whole chat. So it's important that we can expect change, we can expect events to happen, and we can expect mistakes. That's what, you're, that's what you're in for. So, let's spend a few minutes, and I do mean a few minutes, just thinking about um, this chap. No, it's not as someone suggested, Tony Jones just got back from holiday in France. <laughs> <laughs> it's, actually how, it's actually how Clippart thought Abraham might have looked like. Now, I've spent quite a bit of time in the last month actually looking at Abraham. He's actually become one of my heroes. He was, as far as I was concerned, he was one of those people who just, you know, well, he was there in the Bible, and I, I knew about him, but he's actually, he's actually become one of my heroes, because he is so delightfully human. Um, let's have a look at what he did. Now, most people, I hope I'm, don't be in, I hope I'm not sounding a bit rude when I say this to any of you, but most people, when I, when I say, how did Abraham start, start off? And they'll say, um, he, started, he was living in Ur of the Chaldees. Now, Ur was a great centre. It was the civilization of its day. All the archaeology tells us that. It was, no, it was the place to live. And then God called, him, God called him to go out and... You know the rest of the story. Sorry, that's not actually what happened. He was actually living in Ur. And then, look at what it says there. Terah took his son Abraham, his grandson Lot, who was the son of Haran, and his daughter-in-law Sarai, Abraham's wife, and with them he left the city of Ur in Babylonia to go to the land of Canaan. They went as far as Haran and settled there. Now, just as it says there, you think, fine. So they went down the road. No, they went 750 miles down the road. And the other thing was, they left the civilization of their day and they moved to Haran. And the best, thing, the best, thing, best way I can describe, describe Haran, as far as I'm reading, I found it, is the you know, the Middle East version of the Wild West. It was a frontier town. It was a place you went there and thought, a bit risky here. Now you're going to ask yourself a little bit, well, why did they decide to go? Why did they decide to leave, leave what was a pretty comfortable existence for his day and move 750 miles to a frontier town on the edge of the desert? I think you could take two views. I'll let you decide which it is. You could decide they were like the Bedouin we see today. And Keith and Barbara and myself remember you know, the Bedouin we saw when we were in Israel. They're still there. They're still travelling around. You could say they were just, you know, they just decided to become another Bedouin tribe. Really? And gave, and gave, gave up the organised civilization in there? Or was God starting to stir something up in their hearts? So come on, get moving. 
you're dissatisfied where you are. Move on, move on. The interesting thing is this. You cannot find a single reference to God turning up and saying, Tara, move. This seems to have developed. Is this making sense? There was no writing on the wall. There was no direct word from God. It was just a case of them feeling, now is the time to move. So they'd move 750 miles on the edge of the desert round to this frontier town of Haran. Okay, what happens at at Haran? Well, there's a few little family problems, a bit of illness, as well as we can tell. And then the Lord appears to Abraham. Leave your country, your relatives, your father's home, and go to a land that I am going to show you. I don't know about you, but if someone said that to me, I think the next thing I'd say is, can I have the coordinates for the sat-nav, please? It doesn't actually tell you a lot, does it? It just says, pack up your things, pack up your family, get moving. Now, the reason I'm saying this is, so often when God speaks to us in a sense of giving direction, he doesn't actually give us a lot of detail. He moves in a, in a general direction. And please don't understand me if I, if I say this. It's almost as if we have to fill the blanks in. We have to fill the blanks in by, by our relationship with him, by praying, praying, by praying to him, by talking with other Christians. But very often the direction we get is very general. And that's exactly what, that's exactly what happened, happened to Abraham. Would anybody like to tell me how many times God actually turns up and specifically speaks to Abraham in his recorded life? Any offers? Go up a bit, I was surprised. Sir? Six. There's six, possibly seven, because one of them runs into another. But in, in his recorded life in Genesis, God only actually turns up and speaks to Abraham specifically six or seven times. That's not actually a lot in a whole lifetime. But all the time, Abraham was seeking to move on and to follow on from what God had told him to do already. This making sense? He wasn't responding to writing on the wall. He wasn't responding to some, sat, some spirituals, sat-nav. He was simply moving on and what you believe God should be doing. We are going to find ourselves in that situation. I confidently expect God to be speaking very specifically to us in the forthcoming years, forthcoming weeks perhaps, forthcoming months. What I do not expect that to be happening every single day. I don't think that shows a lack of faith. I think that, I think that just says this is how it appears in the Bible. God will guide us, God will direct us, but it's not going to be by sudden vision, sudden word every single day. They'll happen, but we'll also find that very often we just have to keep moving in good faith on the basis of what God has said to us. Let's have a look at his life. Um, I find it absolutely fascinating. I, re- I really do find his life fascinating. Um, have, you, have, you, have you come across these, these biography, Christian biographies you read of Christian leaders, and at the end of it you think, did anything ever go wrong for that man? Yes. You know, or, you know, you, or you some, sometimes think, can you sometimes think, I, I remember, I'm not going to name his name in case I offend anybody, pulling from the related to them, but I'm, I remember, I remember re- re- reading a biography of some man who had a, a really mighty healing ministry, and he did. 
Many people were healed as a result of his ministry. But the way, the way the book's written, you think, was, was, was anybody actually ill in West, 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 West Yorkshire during that period? I'm sure they were. People kept on dying. People weren't getting to get ill. Didn't, didn't, that doesn't diminish his, his ministry. What I like about this is, he's human. How's he human? Well, I'm afraid I see myself here. Not in the details, but in the principles. Um, the journey starts. We've talked about that. They leave Haran and off they go. Not quite sure where they're going to go. And of course Abraham, mighty man of God, he's moving on in faith. Oh dear, there's a famine. What does he do? He goes down to Egypt. Not such a sensible, not such a silly thing to do. There was food there. But immediately he thinks, oh my life, I've got a beautiful wife. Pharaoh will want to have her. And he lies. Read the story yourself. It, the whole thing goes pear-shaped, doesn't it? He made an awful mistake and left an awful mess behind him. <coughs> Let me encourage you with something here. At the end of that bit in the story, what, what happens is, there's a little phrase, it doesn't come out so well in some versions of the Bible, but the version of the Bible that I use, which is the um, New Authorised one, it says, and God took him back to the place where he first sacrificed. In other words, what God said was, yes, Abraham, you have made a right mess of that. Let me take you back to where you first made sacrifice, and let's start again. I have a feeling that might be our experience. It's certainly my experience. I remember making an awful big mistake and going off in the wrong direction. And what happened was, yeah, some years later, God took me back to the point where I made the wrong decision if you like, to the point when I made first made sacrifice. And I believe that's going to apply to us individually, to families, and as a church. God will take us back to the point where we made the first made sacrifice. Okay, um, a clear word from God. No. A clear word. I got a word from God. But again, what God doesn't do is doesn't give him the whole picture. He gives him bits of it as he goes through his life. And Abraham has to live with it. And of course, part of that word from God, now the third, third section down, is the promise of a son. And you can imagine Abraham saying to his wife, after all these years, we're going to have a son. It's great. Months went by. Nothing happened. So what did Abraham do? He did what was common practice at the time, he thought. Yeah, um, I'm not going to have a son by Sarah, that's not going to happen. Right, who's the right age amongst my slaves and you know, other people in the household? Good, right, we've got... Um, and he took one of the slaves, made her pregnant, she produced Ishmael. And if you talk to some Orthodox Jews, they'll say we're living with the consequences of that X thousand years later. He made an awful big mistake. Now, I'm not suggesting any of us are planning to take our slaves. But you see the point? That he, looked, he worked out his own solution. When really that should have been the time when he said, God, please, what is the answer? And that meant hanging on in faith. That meant hanging on to what God had actually said to him. And let's be honest, that's a toughie. But sometimes, sometimes we'll have to do it. And yes, I'm going to make another prediction. Do I believe we're going to do, be doing it in the near future? Yes. We're going to be hanging on saying, God, is this really what you said? We're going to be hanging on to it. 
Well, what happens? Another word from God. More meat on the bones. And this time it's the, it's the go where God takes him out and says, Look at the stars. If any of you have been out you know, well, well away from the city, no, no light pollution, the stars absolutely fill the sky, don't they? And Abraham's, and Abraham's told by God, that's what your descendants are going to be like. We're going to fill the earth. And he's looking forward to the day when the glory of God will fill the earth like the waters to cover the sea, as somebody else saw years later. He's looking forward to the coming of the kingdom of God, not just the people of Israel. And you can imagine Abraham standing there out, out in the night sky, getting the east desert, thinking, oh, that's going to be my descendants. Absolutely thrilling. So, of course, he moves on like the mighty God. Mighty man of God. <laughs> no, actually, <laughs> he has exactly the same situation with Abimelech as he had with Pharaoh. He thinks, oh, my life, they'll be after my wife. I've got to know. Um, she's my sister. She's my sister. He makes exactly the same mistake again. Sorry, folks. Could happen to us. Not that particular one. We get the idea. Well, um, here's the big one. Do we understand what God is always asking of us? No. And sometimes we have to really hang on in faith. So far, God has not asked me to sacrifice Sam. Or Bill. Or Bill. <laughs> I think they're safe. <laughs> But you just put yourself into Abraham's shoes for a minute on that one. You can imagine him thinking, hmm, um, yeah, the, well, you know, um, God's saying, God's, it was a direct word, by the way. God's telling me to sacrifice my son. Um, well, you know, all the other tribes around here do it. It's what the archaeology tells us. You know, there were awful lot, awful lot of child sacrifice went on in those days. So, you know, it's not unusual. So, but God intervenes. I'm not going to say too much about this, but just think about that, because sometimes God will, sometimes God will actually give us a challenge to do something that's way out of our comfort zone. And you think, you sure? I had an argument with God myself recently, when I have at times found my Thursday night activity and you know, the homeless feeding quite challenging and I would quite cheerfully have walked out one night we had a particularly difficult night and all I can say is that God said to me I know you're not in your comfort zone but keep going and I still not quite understand I'm, I'm still not quite sure why but sometimes that's going to be our experience last one, some of you might find this a bit of a challenge, might find this a bit of a mind blower. Did Abraham complete the journey or just his bit? Well actually all he did was he settled in the land of Cana. He did not actually see the kingdom of God in its entirety by any stretch of imagination. He did not see his descendants even filling the land, let alone the world. He saw his bit he saw his bit in our generation. And one of the things that we may have to face up to, folks, is that we, we are responsible for our bit. I better look at the ceiling in case I'm, in case I'm looking at somebody else. <laughs> uh, some of us might not be around long enough to, <laughs> to 
Do you see what I'm saying? You know, we are responsible for what we're responsible for, and we may not find, we may not, may not see the complete picture. I, I still, I still long to see in my lifetime the glory of God filling the earth like the waters covered the sea. I still long to see the Lord come back in my lifetime. Am I going to see it? I don't know. I honestly don't know. Because Christ- the last 2,000 years is littered with Christians who believed they were going to see it. And they didn't. And I'm, not, I'm not rubbishing them. But what I'm saying is, I'd love to see it happen. But if I'm honest, I don't know. Well, that was Abraham's experience. How did he manage to hang on? Well, the, the, the clue to how he managed to hang on actually comes a couple of thousand years later when this Jewish Christian, probably an ex-priest, is writing the letter to the Hebrews. And he says this, talking about Abraham. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place which he'd receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith he dwelt in the land of promises in a foreign country, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs of him the same promise. For he waited for the city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. By faith Sarah herself also received strength to conceive seed, and she bore a child when she was past the age, because she judged him faithful who had promised. You heard where I put the emphasis I read that. What's the key thing in how Abraham proceeded? Sorry? Faith. By faith. By faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go. By faith he dwelt in the land of promise. By faith Sarah herself also received strength. And the challenge I'm finding individually, the challenge that I'm seeking to bring this morning is, we're called to go on a journey, folks, individually. We're called to go on a journey, a journey as a church. Let's do it by faith. Let's do it by faith in our God, by faith in what he said and what he will say. Let me give you one thing which is a slight divergence. Um, I tried to think recently what's kept me going in terms of my faith, in terms of where I believe the church is going, where I want to see the church go. What's kept me going over the last couple of years? Um, well, let me just refer to this bit. For he waited for the city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. No, he waited. He didn't actually see it in his lifetime. He waited. I am waiting to see the glory of God filling the earth like the waters cover the sea. I am waiting to see the I am waiting to see the kingdom as it should be in the earth. I'm waiting for these things. I hope to see them. I don't know if I will. Well, that was Abraham's experience as well. He waited and he saw it in part. Let me just tell you about my own experience. I was very challenged when I was going through this when I came across this lady St. Teresa of Calcutta well you must have heard of her did the most amazing work Romanian nun 
died a few years ago, pushing just under 90. Um, she, she started off her work as a little sister of the charity, looking, looking after the terminal stage in life of the poorest of the poor in India. And she said in an interview, a little while, a lot long before she died, she said, no, I haven't been successful. I haven't been successful. This is a woman who's got a major work going in India, and it's in South America, it's in part, all parts of, it, of Asia now. She said, I haven't been successful. I've been faithful. And I think we have to hang on to that as we do this journey. I believe we will be successful. But what God is actually calling for us is that we be faithful. That we be faithful to what he has asked us to do. That we be faithful to the vision we've got for this church, to the vision we've got for this world, to the vision we've got for this, our, our lives. God is not necessarily not expecting us to concentrate on success. That will come. He's expecting us to concentrate on being faithful. Let me just tell you something I nearly missed out, but to me it's very important. And this is what I said, going to be a slight, slight sidetrack. Um, <coughs> I was praying and thinking 18 months, two years ago now, about the um, future of the church and the future of a whole lot of things we enrolled in, um, some of which didn't seem to be working out terribly well, some of which were. And over a period of some weeks, God took me to this verse, it's in Hebrews, as for us, we have this large crowd of witnesses around us. So then, let us rid ourselves of everything that gets in the way and the sin which holds onto us so tightly. Let us run with determination the race that lies before us. And the bit that really stood out to me was a bit I haven't highlighted, never mind. <laughs> As for us, we have this large crowd of witnesses. And for several days, I thought, so? Let me tell you about a very personal experience, and then I'll finish. Those of you who've been around a while will know that the history of this church over the last 40-odd years um, started at South Green Chapel in Billericay. South Green Chapel, we sold, and then we bought 311 Church Road. We sold that a couple of years ago, and we're still, still, still considering what to do with the money. That's another, don't get sidetracked into that. South Green Chapel in its day, we're talking about the late 19th century, early 20th, was a very successful evangelical church with a very effective ministry in, in that part of Billericay and out into the villages. It was put together by a group of men, the head of which was a chap called Dr. Bozeman, who's had several Dr. Bozemans in South Breen over several generations, and some men who earned very little money indeed. They scrimped, they saved, and they built the place. Now, we're, we are the inheritors of what they did. And what happened was, the whole, in my whole Christian experience, I've only had once what I can describe as a vision. And no, I hadn't been eating cheese or whatever. This came quite unprecedented, and it was this. I saw these characters, Dr. Bozeman and the others, looking over the balcony of heaven. Now, please don't tell me heaven hasn't got a balcony. That's not the point. 
looking over the balcony of heaven and saying, get it right. Be faithful to what you've been called to do, just as we were. It was very, very profound then, and it still is. And that is the nearest that I have come to a vision. So what I'm saying is, folks, we're on a journey. Remember the word of Dr. Bozeman and others. Be faithful to what God has called us to. Okay? I'm finished.